Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. And now, for your listening pleasure, it's the Brum Picture Show, brought to you by Brum Radio. Hello, and welcome to this, the first ever broadcast of the Brum Picture Show, a new weekly film show covering local, independent, and world cinema, right here on Brum Radio. Alongside film reviews, news, and tunes, every week we'll be discussing a different film-related topic and tackling tough cinematic questions. These might be vague questions, such as, what is a film? Or more specific questions, such as, are Martin Scorsese's films cinema? Tarkovsky? Genius or tedious? And what is the greatest film ever made? And why is it The Muppet Christmas Carol? This week's topic is the oeuvre of Wes Anderson. But before we get on to that, let's give you a little bit of background on who on earth we are and how we've been given this prestigious platform on which we may waffle on about films to you and why we've chosen this subject. So this show is brought to you by Screen B14, which is a Birmingham-based community cinema collective which has been putting on film screenings and events in the Mosley and Kingsheath area for the last five years thereabouts. The members of Screen B14 range from award-winning filmmakers and soundtrack composers to armchair critics, and this show will feature various members of said collective discussing everything film for your entertainment or disdain. So my name is Paul Vernon, uh, my role in Screen B14 is that I move the chairs around for our screenings, and I also edit and co-produce this very show. I love films, and I'm now very grateful to have a platform on which to legitimately talk about them. I uh, also made a short film many, many years ago when I was 18 called No Openment, and uh, as it's got an unsearchable title, it's had about 10 views on YouTube for the past <laughs> 15 years, uh, but now I've mentioned it, maybe it will go viral. So check that out. So, let's see who's joining us today on the show. Well, I'm definitely going to check out your short film, Paul. I can't <laughs> wait. Um, my name's Nadine. I am the head programmer for Screen B14. So, I'm the reason that we're showing Asteroid City as our next screening uh, on the 16th of November at the Cuban Embassy. And we thought to tie in with that screening, it'd be lovely to have a little chat about Wes Anderson. Uh, but... I am a writer, I'm a director, I have three films currently doing the festival circuit, but I love film, like my life is just dedicated to film, so that's why I'm here. That's nice. <laughs> Who else do we have? Well, hello, uh, I'm Rory, I'm the officially the General Secretary of Screen B14, although I'm not entirely sure what that encompasses. It's more, I'm more just a general handyman. But other than that, I'm a filmmaker as well. I do sci-fi films, um, you know, one about a farmer who's looking for aliens. We did that. And another one about a palliative care robot, which is a lot more sad. Um, but yes, I also do a bit of stand-up as well in the local area. But thank you well, for having me as well. So looking forward to it. You're very welcome, Rory. <laughs> welcome, guys, to the show. Coming up in the show, we'll have an extended discussion of Wes Anderson and his oeuvre. We also have some film reviews and local events listings. But we're going to start with a brief little roundup of some of the film news that we have perused. Uh, so, who's going to go first with that? Anything catch your eye? I just wanted to mention briefly that, uh, unfortunately, not too long ago, Matthew Perry passed away. 
And I was just, like everybody of my generation, just absolutely obsessed with friends. I had a friend's pencil case, I had a friend's diary, I had a friend's poster on my wall. But he wasn't just a TV star, he starred in films as well, such as Seventeen Again and Fools Rushing, and he even did a film with Bruce Willis, The Whole Ten Yards. And that's the reason that actually that Bruce Willis ended up in Friends, because he lost a bet with Matthew Perry on that film and he wasn't paid for his cameo in Friends. So a little bit of trivia for you there. But I was just a massive fan. And, you know, if you were a sarcastic teenager growing up in the late 90s, early noughties, you were the self-described channel of your friend group and you were just obsessed with him. And he was a comic genius and I just think it's really sad that he won't be around anymore. So I just wanted to just say a little bit of acknowledgement of, you know, how much of a fan I was and, and millions of people across the world as well will be will be missing him. Yeah, it's, it is truly a, a great and very sad loss. As you say, like I, I can't remember. I saw a quote somewhere that just said that he uh, he kind of changed the way that America spoke. That sarcasm, his 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 delivery, his line readings are just so so very him and and so influential on on the world. Really, it's like when you think of the you know the number of countries that that Friends has been incredibly popular in. Like he's just uh, he's a he was a, a gargantuan figure in in comedy. Um, I don't think it's ever been off the air. I think it's just you know turn on the telly somewhere in the world, you know, there'll be an episode of Friends playing. And yeah, like you said, that he had a very specific kind of intonation, a very specific way of talking that he'd developed with his friends, actually, when he was growing up, uh, including Shannon Doherty and Hank Azaria, who were mates of his. And they had this way of talking, you know, that kind of could I be anymore, Chandler Bing kind of um, emphasis on certain words. So, yeah. He was definitely the best friend in friends oh yeah but like yeah, i found sure. whenever i was in my friendship group they would always go which friends per- were you and i'd always get picked as ross <laughs> and I'd, and I'd <laughs> oh, always no. be incredibly disappointed by that because you know i wanted to be everyone wanted to be chandler yeah, no yeah. one wanted to be ross no one oh, wanted definitely. to be ross so yeah no brilliant guy i know it's a it's a it's a great loss and it's um it's been very very heartwarming to see how much um you know how much of a but positive write-ups of his life have been like the newspaper articles because let's face it the, the the press have been quite cruel to Matthew Perry in the past but yeah it's just been it's really nice to see that his legacy is just going to be one of revered and loved character so and um, he did say you know before anyone talks about friends which I've done of course um, he wanted people to know him as somebody who helped others with their sobriety he was well documented drug and alcohol addict, um, had been to rehab many times, um, but had helped many, many people in their journey to sobriety. And that was something he was really proud of. And that was something that he wanted people to remember him for. Yeah. So uh, rest in peace, Matthew Perry. Is there anything else in the news catch your eye? Yeah, something a little more lighthearted um, to cheer us up after that. Horror legend John Carpenter just wants to play video games and watch basketball. Uh, And eat popsicles. (laughs) John Carpenter did a recent interview with Insider and they asked him about, you know, being an absolute horror master. And his response was, that's nice. Sorry, I'm eating a popsicle. Look, I'm not a master of anything. I just want to play video games and watch basketball. That's all I care about doing. I don't want to bother anybody. 
And what can you say to that, really? You know, fair play. You know, when you've made some of the greatest horror films of all time, like Halloween and The Thing, which we showed at Screen B14. Sold out Sold out screening. Yeah. And uh, RJ McCready himself attended. Well, maybe not RJ McCready, but sort of bargain basement version. Well, I wouldn't say bargain base. I would say, well, just for the... uh, for the listeners who weren't in the screen <laughs> screening, uh, I dressed up as uh, RJ McCready. You can't see what I look like, but I am a uh, dead ringer, a white man with long hair <laughs> <laughs> and a beard, and Don't a forget. beard. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, here's a quick tip: if you ever want to uh, have a flamethrower as a sort of costume, what you do is you get your sort of portable Hoover, put it in your backpack, get the uh, the nozzle. And then put flames on it, and uh, not actual flames. No, 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 not. What were actual they made flames. out of? Uh, they look like socks or something. It was paper. That was the paper. secret. That's the uh, secret. But yes, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Actually, yeah. Nice. Really Has he? Is he not making any more films now? He's working on a series at the moment, um, but he's not too bothered about that either. To be honest, he said basically, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't. You can F off, basically. He did say that the thing that matters in a horror movie, most of all, is a great story. He says, I don't care how many final girls or jump scares or anything else. That's all secondary. That's all beside the point. Good story is what horror is all about. And I wish (laughs) there were more horror directors that thought that way. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I do love horror myself. Um, But you have to wade through a lot of rubbish to get to, you know, The Thing or a Halloween that is very true indeed. Well, yeah, John Carpenter's a dude, which is the, the <laughs> takeaway from, from that yeah, story, I suppose. Newsflash. Newsflash. <laughs> I, d- I just love how there's, um, there's like shots in, in Halloween where you can just see his cigarette smoke appearing like from the, in front of the camera because he's just sitting there behind the camera just chain smoking. Not that smoking's good for you guys. Don't, don't do it. But, no, don't do you that. know, in the 70s, it was all right. It wasn't. It was never right. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, so, well, I guess that's... Uh, that is some news. Uh, very quick things that caught my eye. I saw a new Marvel poster, and it was just a load of cats. Okay. What's what's that about? Did it excite you? Like, yeah, I guess cats excite me. What uh, is it? What a was musical? it for? It was the Marvels. Just a load of cats. Oh. Is it starring James Corden? I hope not. Like oh, and, and Taylor Swift yeah. with a with a, a CGI. <laughs> I won't finish that sentence. Moving <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, swiftly yeah. on. Yep. Yeah, so Marvel film. It's got cats, if you like cats and Marvel. I mean, who doesn't love cats? Uh, that's it. Um, and also, so in general, obviously, of course, movie news has been a little bit unusual for the past few months because of the various strikes and Hollywood is just basically eating itself. So it does mean that stories like John Carpenter liking popsicles, popsicles and, <laughs> and things like that kind of taking more of a, a prominence in the headlines than they, than they usually would. And a similar example of this is a headline that I saw on EmpireOnline.com from their exclusive interview with um, Werner Herzog. And apparently he doesn't dream. So He yeah, doesn't? He doesn't dream. That's what he says. He says, uh, the strange thing is that I do not dream. And he's been talking about his, his uh, new memoir, Every Man for Himself and God Against All, which I can't wait to hear the audiobook because he's doing it himself. Uh, and he says, I feel the absence of dreams like a void in the morning. Maybe this void is something I'm filling with poetry or films or images or dialogue or sometimes maybe wild things that I'm acting. But I only dream once or twice a year. And if it is a dream, then it's usually very banal. <laughs> 
I dreamt I had a sandwich for lunch, <laughs> which is just so wonderfully Werner Herzog. Um, and it kind of made me think that Werner Herzog, when you think about it, is the opposite of David Lynch. Because, oh, I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> everything is a dream for David Lynch, a beautiful dream. Uh, but for Werner Herzog, it's a nightmare. And I'd really love to see those two hanging out and their uh, conflicting perspectives on the world. I would love to see you do <laughs> each of them with a different accent, <laughs> battling it out. That looks like a one-man show to me. <laughs> it was like they were here. I, I think Werner Herzog was here. I think this penguin is depressed. No, Werner, it's a penguin in trouble, exploring the new part of town. The more I learn about yeah. you, the gifts you <laughs> <laughs> so I just moved the chairs around. Uh, well, yeah, anyway, so that, that was that was what uh, caught my eye this week. Um, so we should probably well, move on. Uh, I've okay. got one oh. piece of news that kind of ties in with our theme, actually. Michael Sarah and Wes Anderson are going to be teaming up on a new film. I don't know much oh. about it, but I just think that sounds fantastic. It's kind of one of those casting decisions where you're like, how come this didn't happen sooner? I just think that's just perfect. I think Michael Sarah just seems to fit in the Wes Anderson verse mm-hmm. just perfectly. And I'm, yeah, I can't wait. I loved Michael Sarah in Arrested Development and Scott Pilgrim and all his other projects. I just think he's... Um. And, and brilliant as Alan in Barbie, of course, lest, lest we not forget that. But yeah, I'm, I don't know what it is, but I'm already buying my ticket. I can't wait. Absolutely. And of course, my favourite role of Michael Serres is his uh, <laughs> appearance in Twin Peaks The Return as uh, Wally, Wally Brando, is that his name? He plays, he plays Deputy oh, Andy's yeah. uh, and, <laughs> so and Lucy's son, and amazing. he just does this most absurd performance, um, um, dressed all in leathers. Like, yeah, apparently, so. he met David Lynch at some kind of like transcendent. Or yeah, that makes sense. Uh, meditation meetup, and he was like, "Yeah, I've got a, I've got a part for you." <laughs> and oh, that's, that's what, that's how that came about. That makes sense. That reminds me, actually, very quickly of um, video that recently resurfaced as, of of David Lynch on stage with with Russell Brand, because uh, obviously they're both in the transcendental meditation world, and David Lynch just shuts him down completely. Like the the idea, the notion of Russell Brand working with David Lynch is brought up. And it's like, do you, do you think we'll ever work together? And David Lynch just goes, "No." <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good call. And, good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Russell Brand looks um, vis- visibly, visibly crushed. Uh, anyway, we should probably move on from the news. So coming up, we will have a lengthy discussion of Wes Anderson and, of course, film reviews and local events. But before that, let's introduce our main feature for today, the subject of Wes Anderson's work. So we've chosen this subject because Screen B14 will be putting on a screening of the film at the Cuban Embassy in Mosley on November the 16th. Big thank you to those guys for hosting us. So if you're in the area then, make sure you do pop on down to that. Um, I just want to interject. Uh, Mm -hmm. Buy your tickets in advance, people. Our last screening sold out and we had to turn people away. And I I have a sneaking suspicion this will be a sellout too. So if you love Wes Anderson, if you didn't catch Asteroid City uh, while it was on at the cinemas... Don't leave it to the last minute. Get your tickets now. I was also the one who turned people down, um, and it was it was a horrible experience. And it reminded me, I imagine, as a, a bouncer for the Taylor Swift concert, <laughs> <laughs> it was that same experience. So you got to get them now. Yes, yeah, exactly so, so the don't same. Don't break. Rory's heart. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't do want to turn too many people, people away. Yeah. Exactly. Buy your tickets now. Buy your ticket. And even if you don't live in Birmingham, you know, you live abroad, um, you should you know, buy a plane ticket. Buy a plane buy a ticket, ticket anyway. Come over and come and sit and watch a film in a pub with or some just, brummies. Or just pay for the ticket and see it as a donation. Yeah. 
exactly. So, Nadine, uh, tell us a little bit about, well, first of all, why we chose Asteroid City, why we're just talking about Wes in general, and what's your film? I mean, choosing Asteroid City was a bit of a no-brainer for us. Uh, our focus is independent cinema, British films, world cinema, you know, films by films that aren't the big blockbuster films that are hanging around for months on end, films that you may have heard of that you probably planned to go and see, like me, and didn't get round to, and then two weeks later they're not at the cinema anymore. But don't worry, we're showing them for a fraction of the cost of your local multiplex, and you can order drinks and food uh, to your seats, which you don't get at your local multiplex. I nearly, I nearly said the name of one then. I thought, oh, I don't want to get sued. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let, let's keep it generic. But, yeah, I mean, we had requests for Asteroid City. I mean, Wes Anderson is just so well-loved. He's got such a well-defined aesthetic. Um, you know, his films are always so well-crafted, just beautiful uh, visually and, and funny and poignant at times as well. Um, so the film I've chosen to talk about is... Um, there's a couple I could have chosen. I mean, I do love Rushmore. Uh, Max Fisher is my spirit animal and I will be dressing as him for the Asteroid City screening. Do feel free to come in your own Wes Anderson-inspired costumes. We do encourage uh, the fancy dress at our screenings. Might even be a prize in it for you. But yeah, I won't be talking about Rushmore as much as I love that film. I do think it's got a few issues with pacing, and I do think, for my money, his best film is The Royal Tenenbaums. I think his collaborations with Owen Wilson are some of his most heartfelt. I think his films are always beautifully crafted. They're always visually stunning. Um, great set design, great costumes, great uh, you know visual composition, uh, Great colouring, everything. Visually, it's always a feast. But I think uh, the films that I connect with most emotionally are those that he um, that were co-written by Owen Wilson. And I think there is a depth to The Royal Tenenbaums. And if you haven't watched it, if you've only seen from, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel onwards, you need to go back. You need to go into the, the deep cuts for this one. An amazing cast. I mean... Gene Hackman, Danny Glover, Angelica Houston, the Wilson brothers, um, Gwyneth Paltrow, Bill Murray, of course. Um, wouldn't be a Wes Anderson film without him. Uh, yeah, so just, oh, oh, Ben Stiller. Like, there's it's so many. It's just every, everyone, yeah. you've ever, everyone you've ever heard of uh, is in that film. Um, just every role is perfectly cast. And it's a, and it's a story that has... Real, real sad moments, real kind of, you know, deep, meaningful moments. And even though the films themselves are often very lighthearted and humorous, there are these kind of darker uh, points in them. And I think that's coming from real lived experience. Rory, what Wes film are you going to talk about? Yeah, so I chose the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um well, this might be... I don't know if this is controversial. It depends who's listening. Oh. But uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Wes Anderson. Ah. There you go. I find them a little bit impenetrable to some degree, I think. 
emotionally I, I struggle to sort of get into the films emotionally because I think it's of his aesthetic style but saying that I think the Grand Budapest is my favourite one because it's the funniest one um, and that's because of Ralph Fiennes who is such an amazing actor but he's such an amazing comic actor as well and you look at his previous roles like in Bruges Hail Caesar as well he was brilliant in that um, and he's he's kind of not like you know like a Will Ferrell so when you look at Anchorman, you're seeing Will Ferrell and the moustache. But because he's so, so brilliant, you know, as an actor, he embodies the character so well. And it just means that every little... It could just be a gesture. It could be like a little thing with the eyebrow, you know, or it could something be something bigger. But, yeah, it's just a brilliant central performance, and I really love the humour in that film. He has a line in it. Someone really insults him in the sort of funeral and someone really insults him and he just looks at him dead in the pan and just goes how is that supposed to make me feel and it's so funny to me um, although I, it probably doesn't come across like that because I'm not Ralph Fiennes um, well I have to say I actually agree with all those things you just said about Wes Anderson films and that's why I've gone for a deeper cut because I do find as you do I don't necessarily have that emotional connection with his later films and I do feel um, Grand Budapest Hotel is probably the first film of his that a lot of people have seen. It was one of his first big successful films um, that sort of rocketed him into the mainstream. Um, so yeah, I actually don't think it's massively controversial. As said, his films are beautifully crafted. We all know that Wes Anderson aesthetic. Uh, you know, everybody on the internet is, is trying to recreate it accidentally, Wes Anderson. Um, but I agree. I And that's why I went for one of his collaborations with Owen Wilson, because I really think Owen Wilson brought a lot of heart to um, Wes Anderson's playful, you know, kind of perfect, crafted aesthetic. Mm. Um, and I do think if you are a fan of Wes Anderson films or even if you're a casual viewer... Um, and you haven't seen some of those earlier films, not necessarily Battle Rocket, <laughs> but I would say go back, go back to Rushmore, go back to the Royal Tenenbaums, go back to some of those uh, earlier films. The aesthetic is there, but there's 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 more, um, there's a bit more depth there, I think. And I think often it feels like Wes Anderson is an aesthetic looking for a story. <laughs> I was listening to, I can't remember if it was a review or something, but they said that that is often what people go in for. When they first look at Wes Anderson, they're kind of blown away just by just by his aesthetic and, you know, how sort of, I guess, accurate it is in every way, in the, in the details. But then what you should do is re-watch it again, which is something I just can't quite muster. I, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched his films twice, really, except The Grand Budapest Hotel. And then... You, then once you know what happens in the film and you know you know like you know yeah what happens to the characters kind of the sort of the ice the themes of isolation you know sort of come out a lot more in the second viewing because um, it is quite actually quite a sad film I think the Grand Budapest there is something sort of isolating about the characters um, which is actually quite hard to see you know behind all the big bright colours and stuff and the funny costumes and the moustaches. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that is interesting and perhaps they require second viewing. Would be defending Anderson, mm -hmm. but I'm not the biggest fan. Well, you don't, have, mm. you don't have to be. I think, I think, you know, 
Uh, let's let's open up the debate. What do you think, listeners? Uh, is Wes Anderson an aesthetic trying to find a story? Um, or do his films have depth? Should we look a little deeper before we write Wes Anderson off? Uh, what is our uh, email address and how can they contact us? Pictureshow at brumradio.com, Nadine. Paul, what's your favourite? What's your favourite Wes Anderson film? Oh, what's you, your pick? It might not be his favourite. What, did, yeah. you, what you, did you pick? Him? Are you a Wes Anderson head? Well, it's funny you should say that. Um, it's quite interesting that we've chosen Wes Anderson as our uh, subject for the first show because I don't really love him either. The thing is, I, I really like uh, Wes Anderson films, but I don't love any of them. And, and as kind of Rory was saying, there's always something about them that leaves me a little bit cold. And I think it partly is that kind of meticulous construction of it all. It makes it it makes it all feel quite clinical. Because um, obviously his films are all like because he makes animatics for all of his films. Like his films are so you know so thoroughly storyboarded and you know regimented that you you feel that there's there's obviously no improvising going on in that set because it's just like right this is the shot we're getting and it, it kind of leaves a, a bit of a kind of stilted feel to a lot of it and I never really emotionally engage with a lot of his stuff um, and also his his stuff tends to provoke more of a a wry smile, like a, a, a twitch at the corner of the mouth, um, rather than actual laughs, uh, which is yeah, with maybe the exception of Asteroid City for me, because I, I did find myself laughing out loud quite a lot in that film. But in general, you just kind of just go, hmm. you're, you're like, oh, that's yeah. that's very clever. Yeah, yeah, it's like nicely yeah. done. It's like, oh yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, there are more films to be appreciated than enjoyed a lot of the time. I I, I don't know, um, but but as you say, they're always gorgeously designed and. And constructed, but yeah, I, I just come away, you know, feeling like, yep, I've just watched a Wes Anderson film, and and I know that's become quite a lazy criticism. It's like everyone says that, you know, Wes Anderson is just becoming a, a parody of himself, and like all the all the Wes Anderson films are, you know, just more Wes Anderson by the minute. And but I think there is, that's quite a reductive statement. But he is, he is one of the only directors that I can think of that you just know. It's a Wes Anderson film when you watch it. Like even even Scorsese or whatever, he's you know he has tonal shifts. Even even Tarantino messes with tone a little bit. Like it's not always like full on Tarantino, but but Wes Anderson is just it's always Wes Anderson, isn't it? It's it's yeah. I can't think of many many artists like many you know, directors like that. I would love a um, moment. I love a moment in the future where someone goes. Oh, did you know that was directed by Wes Anderson? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, what? what? Yeah, like I'd love him well, it to. It wasn't symmetrical. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'd love him to just, I don't know, just do a, a weird horror film or something like that. I'd, but he's he's a great artist, and he just, you know, yeah, it's cool that he keeps doing what he's doing. And and again, he's one of the he is one of the few directors who um, who can you know get a film promoted just by his 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 name really is is not many directors like that of you know as you know you Nolans and your Tarantinos and Scorsese's but he is like yeah he's one of the main, only household name directors that can that people will go see the new Wes Anderson film and he also obviously just gets uh, this incredibly these incredibly powerful uh, see, casts it's interesting you, know. you say that i've got a feeling for film aficionados people will go out to see the new Wes Anderson film. But I think for the general population, that isn't going to be, that isn't the case. And mm. it, I and disagree. It, do you? Well, that's, that's the thing. That's the, 
that's a tricky thing, isn't it? It's because um, we're all just living in our little film bubbles, and we think that everyone knows everything. But actually, we recorded a pilot show for this radio show, and I played it for my friends, uh, some of my friends, and they just said, "And you knew one of those films that you spoke about." Like, mm. So, if you think we're being too niche, listeners of Br- of Br- Radio, then do let us know. Email us in. And was, oh, if you're Wes just like, Anderson who's Wes Anderson? So, so niche. Yeah, why did you spend half an hour talking about Wes Anderson? Why, why who's that guy? Why are you talking about the latest Marvel films? I'm sorry, well, we listeners. Did. If you've not heard of Wes Anderson... Get out. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want your kind. Just phone, we don't want your phones. Phone, <laughs> radios have been turning off <laughs> as we speak. But sometimes Sorry. I find as well, when coming out of a Wes Anderson film, I get the feeling of inadequacy. <laughs> that, that's that's the real problem. I just <laughs> always have a feeling of inadequacy. It doesn't, <laughs> just, doesn't matter what it's film I watch. New clothes, you just don't get it, guys. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, or it's a bit enough. of coming out like, oh, but so many clever people love this, and I and I love looking at it, but mm-hmm. but I just yeah. It's just I think not you're connected. distracted by the visuals, and I think I think late. I agree that his some of his late period films are are not that that I don't connect with emotionally, but please do go back. Do go back to those earlier films. Do go back to those Owen Wilson collaborations um, because I think you're missing a trick. And the aesthetic is still there, but not in that heightened way. I think Grand Budapest Hotel really was when he sort of, when, for want of a better word, kind of over the top with that. Mm. But that's quite interesting, yeah. actually. So you think then that his films have got progressively worse um not necessarily progressively worse but they've become progressively more stylized and i Mm. think perhaps less sort of dramatic less sort of heartfelt and i think if you are a person who's like oh i don't care for wes anderson especially if you're someone who is a bit dazzled as rory is by the aesthetic uh, you can't see past that those earlier films, the, his sense of style is still there. His meticulous sense of style is still there. But it's not... It's it's a much more real world. Go watch Rushmore. Everything in Rushmore feels like it could exist in the real world. It's just very symmetrical. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I did watch uh, Rushmore. Well, no, I, I started watching Rushmore, but I was about 13. And I thought it was, you know... Go back. Yeah, and I, I didn't get it then, but that was due to being 13 years old I think mm-hmm. so, so I, I think hopefully I've changed Jason then. Schwartzman is just perfect in that film mm-hmm. I just think you know he's so brilliantly cast and yes he's a Nepo baby you know we've got to give him that he's part of the Coppola family um, his mother was in the Godfather films but he's just brilliant you, I can't believe he's a 17 year old in that film he's just so mature so funny uh, just so brilliant, and and in every Wes Anderson film. So, so do do give it another chance. Do go back to Rushmore. Do go back to Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know about Steve Zissou. Yeah. Uh, that's not my cup of tea, but yeah, I think my pick because I think it is the most emotionally resonant of his films would be Moonrise Kingdom from 2012, which is definitely I think it's his most heartwarming and like genuinely touching like it's still you know overly stylized and that's definitely we're, we're starting to get the full-on symmetrical stuff and but it's all lovely that business. it's in a very gentle way it's not mm-hmm. it's not beating you over the head with it yeah yeah it's it's just it's just a really nice film so it's, it's a coming of age story set in the 60s about a, a young boy escaping a, a scout camp to meet his uh 
his his, his young love interest, and it, it turns into a a road movie where where, where, where they're being pursued by uh, by authority figures, and it's just got the classic Wes Anderson cast, like incredible cast, which he always manages to do. And I think the reason he manages to get these amazing casts is for the most part they only have to turn up for a day or or two, and like especially but what was a yeah Asteroid City, like the poster for that is just ridiculous. It's just like look at all these humans that you know, <laughs> an easy come, paycheck, come, exactly. Come and see this. Actually, you say easy paycheck, Edward Norton complains he says he doesn't get paid very much at all in Wes Anderson films poor Edward oh. Poor oh, boy. a, a moment always... of silence for uh, Edward Norton's he's financial a... problems he's always moaning that Edward Norton isn't he <laughs> yeah. um, sorry Edward Norton if you're listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio but yeah so it's, it's got Francis McDormand Tilda Swinton even Bruce Willis and of course the Anderson Staples with Bill Murray and, and Jason Schwartzman. But yeah, it's it's and the the main thing is that the the child leads in it is it's a testament to their performances that I enjoyed the film. Like because I I hate children in films. Um, apologies to any children listening. Um, but you're annoying and confusing. Go away. Um, but the fact that these these child actors, you know, managed to make me me feel feel something. Um, it was just yeah, it's just a. A really lovely film, um, and of course, I'm a big fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox uh, because you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox is a, is a little bit of my childhood. Um, although um, my parents hate it for some reason, I think they find it quite disturbing. But... I don't like it either. No, really? See, we've, yeah. got it, we've got all the different angles on Wes Anderson today. Yeah, um, yeah. I do him doing children's films just is a perfect match though because he does have a very storybook aesthetic. His mm-hmm. look is almost like something out of a out of a children's uh, novel. Yeah. When did you watch that film? Were you a child? Well, I guess not long after it came out. Um, uh, I suppose I wasn't a child when it came out. When it came but, out but the then, book, you know. I presume, rolled Oh, the book, yeah, the, book yeah, read the book. And I remember going to see the uh, stage performance of it at the, at the old rep. Uh, I remember seeing the twits as well. I saw parents. the tweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where did, no, I saw it at the Mac. Uh, the old rep, I think it was. Okay. So, I would have been like eight or something like yeah, that. So it might have been yeah. the same tour, touring yeah, company. Because yeah. um, it is a disturbing mm, story. Yeah, I mean, yeah. all of Roald Dahl's films, are, uh, well, with books, yeah, are yeah. kind of disturbing. Yeah, yeah, they're really, they're really dark and it's, it's quite amazing. So I think your yeah. parents should reevaluate that critique. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, exactly. I didn't mean to. Uh, I hope they're I not listening. They're under, no. I think, shouldn't that mean they're in the right, though? Because they think it's disturbing, don't they? But they think but, that's a reason why it's bad. Yeah, but they didn't but, think, oh, you like... you think it's a good adaptation, therefore? An accurate adaptation. Yeah. Well, I, my parents are funny ones, because, like, my dad in particular, he's got a real real thing where he's just quite disturbed by talking animals. Babe Pig in the City, he was He, was he should avoid all children's natural. films, yeah, I think. <laughs> exactly. It's not natural. That's just not right. He was, Foxes yeah. don't. Talk <laughs> exactly, but for some reason, you know, they didn't mind the the original stories. But there's something about Wes Anderson's um, adaptation that um, how did how, them out. how does your dad find Finding Nemo? Because that's not. I think that's all right. I think it's when fish. it's kind of not that they're live action in Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think Mr. there's Fox, something it's... about the fur because they they're not plasticine. Mm. They're furry and it is creepy. Right, and the, the, it's a bit it uncanny. Looks like their fur is oh, kind I of see. crawling. I like, yeah, oh, I don't yeah, like yeah. it. I agree with your dad. But oh, animation. He's fine with animations. It's just that 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Style. So I guess it's well. I mean, stop motion is a kind of animation, but um, but yeah, it's it's more the kind of live actioniy stuff. Live action, bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like the, the talking orangutan in Bay Pig in the City. That's what really sent him over. I don't think. He, <laughs> I don't think he ever quite recovered, to be honest. But yeah, so they, they are they are really a, a perfect pairing. But yeah, so they get it's, it's got this fourth wall breaking theatrical thing, and it also it reminded me a little bit of the Lars von Trier film Dogville. In that it's you know there's certain bits where they don't use props they're referring to props like he's referring to the the poison oats that the rat catcher has so basically Ray finds is this rat catcher who turns up to this village and they're like we gotta kill our rats and then he turns up with some with some poison oats that's his plan but then when it when he's showing you the oats he's just got his hands out empty and then there's this whole sequence where he's talking about uh, using a ferret to um, uh, dispose of a rat and you don't see that happening he's just standing there do you, and do then, you think that could be because of uh, they didn't have enough budget for well, the props it's, I think it's at a very intentional theatrical <laughs> it's not because um, they're running out of money I, it is I think part of it is but we do see the rat animated exactly so, exactly so that's what confused like a me yeah me. but yeah, I, I don't I think that was another thing as what Rory was saying earlier, is am I just not clever enough? Do I not understand why you're using a CGI rat in this bit, but you're not using a CGI rat and a ferret I think in the it other was bit? An like, animated rat. I just want to put that in. I don't. Think, mm, it looks I, a bit CGI I to me. It didn't look like proper. Wes Anderson using CGI. It's but it not looks. Old oh, it looks like real. a computer rat. I don't know. I, I don't know. know. It looks like CGI trying to be. I think it's claymation enhanced CGI. Perhaps if okay. you know, listeners, do let us know. Is the rat in the rat catcher CGI? Or, or animated, you need to sell it. You need to settle this uh, argument right now. A hot us. debate, guys. And if you're Wes Anderson, please let us know. But I do think so many of his films have that theatrical element. Even going back all the way to Rushmore and the play within the film, we talk a lot about his literary influences and that kind of, you know, novel type framing device that he uses. But he also seems to be enamoured with theatre and theatricality and I think that's something that comes across uh, in all these kind of Netflix Roald Dahl adaptations. I'd recommend The Swan, that was Mm -hmm. my favourite and Henry Sugar, the longest one is is probably one of the better ones didn't care so much for Rat Catcher or Poison Mm. Uh, but I think Rupert Friend weirdly as well fits very neatly Mm. into the Wes Anderson verse I don't know why, he just seems to get it. I think some actors just click and it's like yeah of course mm-hmm. and then other actors you think they were but they just I don't know there's something about your Richard Aowardis your Jason Schwartzmans mm-hmm. your um, Rupert Friends even that just kind of fit very neatly into that world I, I agree so well I guess we should probably begin to wrap things up but I guess in in, in conclusion Wes Anderson's alright isn't he yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty yeah, good. Very enthusiastic. Um, come and yeah. see. You said you liked Asteroid City. You said no, you were I laughing did. No, at no, no, no. I, I really did. Don't, um, come on, let's not put people. I think you said up. something which is great, which is probably what I do believe is that mm. they are great films. They will never be my favourite films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. But you know, we love you, Wes. Despite everything we've just said, uh, slander. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think you just need to go back and rewatch some of those films. Yeah, I, I mean, I will. You're be probably up. right. Coming up now is the review section, um, which isn't going to be incredibly extensive because you know we've got full time jobs. We don't we don't have the the time to go and see every single film like these proper film journalists do. So this is just what we've managed to to get out and and see. So, but the main film event, I suppose, of the 
of the season, if not the year, is the new Martin Scorsese film, Killers of the Flower Moon. No spoilers, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, unfortunately, I was going to go and see this on my birthday and I've got a horrible ear infection and I don't want to risk my eardrum even for Martin Scorsese, so I'm putting it off. But if you can discuss the film without spoilers, I'd appreciate it, guys. Yeah. They all die. Like, <gasps> everyone <laughs> dies. <laughs> that better not be no, true. No, 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 it's fine. Don't put that in. No, no it's not true. No, it's, yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> definitely doesn't happen. So uh, the film, it's an amazing film. It is based on a book, and it's such an interesting period of history. But it's basically about the Osage Nation, which are Native Americans, in, set in the 1920s. And they were sort of chucked off into this sort of reservation in Oklahoma and they, were, they landed on like this massive oil reserve and then became the richest community, you know, I think in America really, per capita, which is just a, a crazy thing in that you, your perceptions of American history are that you know, Native Americans, you know, the atrocities and all that sort of thing. But then they were the richest, you know, group um, because of this. I so, think were, maybe, is the operative word. Yeah. And what it happened then is it, it meant that it creates this really interesting situation between the Native Americans and then the white people who are sort of w within that community too. So the, the way that w these white people would gain power and access to money would be marrying through this community. And then also, I hate to spoil this, Nadine, no, no, through no, no. the systematic real murder and planned murder of these people as well. It's just an incredibly fascinating period of history. And mm -hmm. it is a film that reflects that incredibly. And it's an amazing film. It's also a 206-minute film, <laughs> which is kind of taken over, really, as the, as the debate that surrounds it. Mm -hmm. And... It is amazing how good this film is, considering how long it is. Which is my, I think it is too long, but it is also brilliant. Oh. Mm -hmm. Can a Martin Scorsese film be too long? Yes, <laughs> the, the Irishman. Would, would it was so long; it was ridiculous. Wolf of Wall Street. No, that was okay. I think that's, that's probably longer than than Killers of the Flower Moon. We didn't Family. feel like it. Yeah, yeah, pacing. Maybe it's pacing is the problem. Well, this is the whole point, I guess, because you know, is are, it, am I just a victim of social media and the TikTok generation, or is this like an actual? You know, is it self indulgent to have a film that is two hundred and six minutes long? In the cinema, do we need an intermission because of weak bladder issues, potentially? Um, well, it's interesting because I am a person who suffers uh, from those kinds of issues and that's why I don't get drinks when I go to the cinema. But I was having uh, a chat with someone who actually works in distribution, who works in uh, movie theatres, and it's, don't blame them, guys. They want to put in the intermissions. Mm -hmm. It's the filmmakers that are saying, no, you've got to watch this, you know, Thelma Sh Shoemaker mm. is going to be on my case yeah, yeah. If, if I put it into mission in, in the middle of this. She's been kicking off because apparently um, quite a few uh, cinemas in the in the states have been have been screening the film with an intermission, um, and she's been like, "I'm going to come after you," kind of thing. Because so um, you do not want Thelma Shoemaker you know, on your case. Exactly, because there's certain films like um, The Hateful Eight, Tarantino, that was designed with an intermission in mind, but obviously this this film has been has been designed to to watch in one sitting. So it's obviously somewhat 
um, disrespectful to the to the filmmakers to just arbitrarily put in an intermission at some point. But in general, like I, I personally think they should bring intermissions back as a thing because I think it would be good for good for cinemas in general because it's an opportunity for them to make more money. It's good for you know, it's good for audience members because they can have a wee. They don't have to How just, is your bladder, Paul? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm the same as Nadine in that I try not to drink anything before yeah, beforehand. Um, well, it's but, funny because I went to see a DMP screening, uh, Mario Bava double bill. And there was an intermission in that. And I never buy snacks because why would you? They're so blimmin' expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in between films, I was like, you know what? I fancy some Maltesers. I fancy some chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to stretch my legs. So I think the theatres would appreciate it. I think the viewers would appreciate it. So I think these auteurs need to, you know, have a rethink and, you know, put a break in their films. Yeah, I've yeah. got a statistic, if you don't mind. Mm. Ooh, yeah. Go on, we love a statistic. I know. Well, apparently View, the cinema, did a market uh, analysis and it was 74% of people within that market analysis preferred the intermission for that film. Right. There you go. There's a statistic. That makes Martin. sense. Yeah, Martin. Martin. Thelma. I think Rory, you you might have found this this same quote, but uh, from um, yeah. Scorsese's <laughs> interview with the Hindustan Times. Um, but he says uh, people say it's three hours, but come on, you can sit in front of the TV and watch something for five hours. Also, there are many people who watch theatre for three and a half hours. There are real actors on stage. You can't get up and walk around. You give it that respect. Give cinema some respect. But I put it to you, Martin Scorsese, that most plays that are three and a half hours long would have an interval, right? Give yeah, my bladder some and respect. And my TV yeah. has a pause button. Yeah, exactly. But, no, you know, I get what he's saying. But uh, personally, with Killers of the Flower Moon, I didn't actually notice the runtime at all. Um, I thought it I thought it flew by. But I think that might have been because I fell asleep a couple of times. <laughs> uh, but, no I, I, no, I didn't fall asleep. But I, I may have had a couple of micro naps. I don't know. There were definitely some moments where I was, just kind, of, I was kind of aware that I'd maybe what? maybe kind of drifted out of consciousness for, for a brief moment. And what? I wasn't entirely sure how much time had passed in that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I say I had this amazing situation in Oppenheimer, which is obviously another mm. very long film, and I did need to go to the loo. Mm. So I had to wait, I had to time it, like e- either after the bomb or before the bomb. <laughs> um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to go before the bomb, and hopefully I don't miss it, because if I miss it, then that's ridiculous. So I went into the toilet, came back, and then you could see everyone in the cinema. And half the people were asleep. <laughs> wow. And, it, and it's because, it was partly, I think, because of the Oppenheimer Barbie hype. Because right. they, they were thinking it was going to be this wicked, you know, thriller when it was really... Local yeah, ball. yeah. It is, it is astonishing how well that film did, considering yeah. what, it, what it is. It just, you know, but it so is. many people were unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's Nolan. But, people come out for Nolan. He's another one, like mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, that people will just... And Scorsese, to, you know, degree that people yeah. go, yeah, I'm going to go and watch that film. But exactly, exactly. Um, and to be honest, I, I find the fact that I, I, I drifted off a bit, like, a, a compliment to the film, because, you know, I'm, I'm quite an anxiety-ridden individual. Like, I don't really... I don't really sleep very easily. So the fact that I, I think I was just so soothed by seeing a proper film, you know, properly made, that I was just I was just so relaxed by that. Or maybe I'm just soothed by the systematic destruction of a bloodline. Um, no, wait, I, 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 we'll on. cut that out. Um, but the point is, it's a great film, isn't it? Um, a brilliant film. I, I gave it five out of five on my letterbox. Mm-hmm. We have a letterboxed. Ah, uh, yes. From Picture Show. Please. On Letterboxd, please do give us a follow and we'll... 
I'll be putting up all the films we've discussed today mm-hmm. and some of the other films that we've been watching in our spare time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please do that. And of course, uh, once again, if you have anything you want to say to us, email us at pictureshow at bramradio.com. Just briefly, I just want to mention uh, that Talk To Me, uh, the A24 horror film that has just appeared on Netflix and that was probably one of the one of my favourite uh, horror films of, of recent times and uh, yeah just wanted to give a little bit of a, a shout out to that because it's just it is so effectively done like it plays with all the familiar uh, horror tropes like it starts with with hitting a kangaroo um, with a car which reminds me of um, the 1978 Australian eco-horror uh, long weekend which starts in exactly the same way and so many horror films start with Running over an animal or I thing, you can say kangaroo. or, or <laughs> like kangaroo. It's only those. Head. It's only those two that I, I remember it being a kangaroo. But it's just like it's such a common feature. Like that's one of the things I like about horror, though, is that they just they're always playing with a formula. Get playing Out on, had a deer, didn't it? Probably, well. probably. But yeah, it's all about how they play with that formula and how it follows the same beats, but you just do it in a way that's interesting. And I thought Taught to Me follows kind of similar structure to Hereditary in that it you know. There's a party with young people and something really shocking happens and then it's about the kind of the fallout from all that and the, the grief of, of parents and the relationship between you know, parents and the, and the young teenagers and all that. And it's just it, is, it, just, it just got the tone perfect for me. And it was really funny and naturalistic, like you believe in these teenagers, but it's also genuinely ups, uh, uh, you know, unsettling. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to say, watch that. That's on Netflix. And now we're going to go over to Nadine, who is going to talk about what's going on locally. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, Yeah, just want to give a quick roundup of local events happening, local cinema events. You are free, of course, to go to your local multiplex, but we want to shine a light on some of the more niche, some of the more uh, smaller uh, community cinemas and, and different sort of unusual events happening in and around Brom uh, at your independent cinemas as well. So first off, started on the 3rd of November, going all the way to the 12th of November is the Square Eyes TV Festival. I know this is a film show, but the this is TV at the cinema. These will be at various locations, so Mockingbird Cinema, The Mac in Cannonhill Park, uh, there's loads on. I, I can't tell you all the things that are on. There's so many, but uh, definite highlights for me include Eerie Indiana screening, Who Remembers That, Spaced, and uh, one of my all-time favourites, Peep Show. So definitely do check out their programme. Journey Film Club have a screening of Frida on the 7th of November at the Birmingham LGBT Centre. Overlap Social, who do some great animated short films, have a theme of Act Natural on the 10th of November. Um, So there'll be all sorts of animated delights uh, around that theme at Norton's in Digbeth. Friendly Neighbourhood Cinema. Oh, now this I really would love to go to. Army of Darkness on VHS, 11th of November at the Duke William. And I have to say this might be controversial, but I think Army of Darkness is my favourite Evil Dead movie. Wow. Um, I think the only the only thing that I dislike about it, the only sort of fault it has, is that they didn't call it the Medieval Dead. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and on VHS, come on, how retro is that? 
Um, I just, I think I'm just a massive Xena fan and I feel like Army of Darkness is the playbook. If you ever watched Hercules or Xena, you can see that they've totally stolen everything from that film. And, you know, Sam Raimi, I love Sam Raimi. He was a producer on those shows. So I think it's just, it's just cheesy. It's fun. It's silly. It's tongue in cheek. Um, So do, if you get a chance to go and see that on VHS, I do recommend it. Uh, Screen B14 will be showing Asteroid City. Yes, that's why we've been waffling on about Wes Anderson all day. Uh, On the 16th of November, do book your tickets in advance. Our last screening sold out. Rory doesn't want to have to turn you away at the Cuban Embassy uh, on the 16th of November. And lastly, uh, on the 18th of November, Sturchley Cinema will be showing Marcel the Shell with shoes on Mm. at Sturchley Baths. So that's a lovely little uh, wholesome, heartwarming film there. Highly recommended, so do go and see that if you're around the Sturchley area. Thanks very much, Nadine. So I guess that's probably all we've got time for this week. Thank you very much for joining us on the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio. Uh, We'll be back. Next week, there's all sorts of things that we're, we're going to be uh, chatting about in the future. So, yeah, make sure you follow us on our socials. We're on Twitter. I refuse to call it X. We're also presumably on other platforms. Instagram and Facebook. That's right. Screen B14. And, uh, yeah, email us with any thoughts, questions, feelings, you know. Follow us on Letterboxd. Email us at pictureshow at bramradio.com. So it's goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye from me, Rory. And goodbye from me, Nadine. Thanks for listening, guys, to the Brum Picture Show. Until next time. Until (laughs) next time. You have been listening to the Brum Picture Show, a Screen B14 production for Brum Radio, with Paul Vernon, Nadine O'Mahony and Rory Rawson. Tune in next time for more film fun don't forget to email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. That's the kind of stuff that Paul comes out with. I saw it, I was like, I I want to say it so bad. I'm really disturbed by your swan stuff. Oh, I didn't even get to tell the... No, I don't really have a graphic swan story. Oh, God, what's wrong with you? I didn't get to tell my rat story. Oh, no, no, I've got a rat phobia. Uh, Just quickly, my... Just quickly, my rat story, uh, there's uh, where I used to live in a little bedsit. I just kept hearing these noises, like, every night. Uh, over a series of nights and then one day I opened up my fridge to find that everything on the bottom shelf of my fridge had uh, gone missing and apparently some rats had organised themselves uh, to eat a hole through the drainage hole at the back of my fridge and steal everything, steal everything. They, these, these rats conducted a heist uh, and they stole all my food. So I was quite impressed with them because they'd been clearly working on that for days. Maybe they were chefs. <laughs> trying to make <laughs> thank <laughs> you for traumatising me Maybe they were I told you I was phobic <laughs> I, I asked him listeners not to tell that story I said I don't want to know your graphic rat story and he didn't listen so. no that's not the graphic rat story oh my that's just that's the, that's the nice rat oh, story I don't want to know please to... please honestly I, I had to pause Hellraiser and, and have a hysterical breakdown there's a very unpleasant rat scene in that 
Uh, I had to hold my friend's arm. I'm not a touchy-feely person, so if you know me, that in itself is 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 unusual. Yeah. Uh, but I I I don't want to know about. I just don't even want to think about rats. That's fine. Well, I once accidentally ran one over with my bicycle, so that was the graphic one. So there you go. Uh, oh, and a, a coda to the fridge story. I wound up making a cage for my fridge. I filled in the but drainage hole with poly- the rats? <laughs> no, 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 no. I filled in the hole with um, polyfiller and uh, uh, and polystyrene, and then created a cage for my fridge out of chicken wire. <laughs> so that is my rat story, and I didn't have Rafe finds to to help me. Okay, that's it then. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what? You don't listen, do you, Paul? Uh, yeah. I said don't tell that story. I enjoyed that. Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.